When I am bored of cleaning the big enchanted castle and waiting for a beautiful woman to arrive to wrest my master from the grips of his terrible curse and free us all, I like to listen to the Improvised Movie Director podcast. Everything you are about to hear on this podcast is completely improvised. The film title and director's names are kept secret from the guests and the team until the moment that they are our guests. They are about to work together to create a film that will undoubtedly be a box office smash hit and maybe, just maybe, will break the curse that turned me into this candlestick. In the meantime, I have some cleaning to do, some dusters to flirt with, and you are very, very welcome to be our guest on this week's episode of the Improvised Movie Director Podcast. Michael Winner said a team effort is a lot of people doing what I say. I've dated Michael, and I pity anyone who blithely follows his direction. It's a surefire way to find yourself lost in someone else's shadow, and I will not be outshone. Today's director, however, lights up those around them with more than birdies and spotlights. They have a charm that lights up any room. I'm Martina Minow, and I'm joined today by Theodore Nightingale, director of Pride and Predator. Welcome, Theodore. How are you today? I'm just so pleased to be here. Uh, Pride and Predator has been a passion project for me, and I'm, I'm just so pleased to see it through to fruition. I see your passion, Theodore. I've seen your passion in every work you've ever done. But if you don't mind me saying so, I think this is your strongest yet. Thank you so much. I, I'm so excited for everyone to uh, hear it. Uh, I'm delighted. And, and Pride and Predator, now obviously... I always watch your work the moment it's released. I, I'm quite I'm quite obsessive in that regard. However, our listeners, they may not have seen it yet. So what is Pride and Predator all about? Well, oddly enough, it was initially inspired by Jurassic Park. Uh, mm. There's a moment where a velociraptor is referred to as a clever girl uh, right before it kills somebody. I, I don't want to spoil Jurassic Park for anyone who hasn't seen that, but that's a scene that happens. Um, and it made me think of Jane Austen and uh, feminism. And I feel like feminism plus dinosaurs is definitely the way forward. Oh, absolutely. And let me tell you, Theodore, when a man calls me a clever girl, I want to bite his head off as well. So yes, feminism and dinosaurs, exactly what the world needs. Now talk us through that opening sequence, because it really went off with a bang, didn't it? It did, indeed. Something that I love about the opening sequence is that, well, you're told never to kill your protagonist in a movie, and I thought I would just love to start with a death scene. I thought that was really dramatic. And we don't quite figure out who the protagonist is until halfway through the movie, which is delightful. For me, I feel like the gore in that sweeping opening sequence just lends a weight to the film. And I think it it lets the viewers know that it's not just going to be a romance. Yes, yes. Never kill your protagonist in the opening sequence. Well, my friend Sean Bean, he's been bitten a, a bit too hard by that in the past. Uh, let's cut to that opening sequence where we see the gore, the guts, and we think... This is going to be a ballsy movie, isn't it? Let's cut to. Oh, 
Cassandra, I've never been to a ball with live dinosaurs before. It's going to be awfully exciting, wouldn't you say? Oh, certainly, Elizabeth. Why, it's the talk of old London town. Now come here, let me adjust your ribbons. The carriage awaits. Oh, thank you. Careful with your skirts getting into this pony and trap. Oh, of course. And uh, did you bring that carcass of chicken which we were advised to bring? Of course I did. Why don't you take a look at my hat, dear sister? You'll see it artfully positioned on the top there. I hear it's what all the French ladies are doing. Mm, très chic. Oh, <laughs> murky. <laughs> I cannot believe that Mr Bingley has made it back to Butcher after all this time, and his first action is to fill his house with dinosaurs and then invite all of the eligible ladies there. I mean, take a look in the sky. You can already see some of the beautiful, colossal, prehistoric beasts soaring away up there. Oh, look, this one's coming closer. It looks like... No, Elizabeth! <laughs> What's going on? The ladies have been... <laughs> now then, there's no need for hysteria, coach. Oh, my spleen! Oh, my spleen! My pristinely clean spleen! Oh, Cassandra, not a future she predicted, was it, getting bitten up like that? My goodness me. Um, I, I was riveted. Theodore, I really was. And the special effects were out of this world. Extraordinary. Absolutely. We, we got a world-class Foley artist to do the film for us. And I think you'll find throughout that the sound effects are just stunning. Oh, yes. All of the dinosaurs, all anatomically and audio correct, I'll have you know. And listeners, if you find anything wrong with the sound effects, do write in. I, uh, I think they, they really come to the fore during the uh, romantic scenes as well. Yes, yes. I love that. <laughs> I know you won't believe me, Theodore, but I'm a romantic at heart. Behind this steely facade, I just want to be loved. And actually, I was delighted to see a strong romance theme running throughout this film. Despite the blood and the gore, actually what unites us all is the human need for connection. And it was rather beautiful. Talk us, talk us through your star-crossed lovers. Well, because it's a feminist piece, I thought it would be really nice to focus on a female romance, mm. uh, which I think uh, it lends a certain sophistication and classiness to an otherwise quite gory movie yes uh, uh, absolutely and so we we have these two two young women who've just entered society they've been pressured to conform they've been to finishing school they've learned to dance they've learned to dress they've learned to conceal a chicken in their hat but actually they find each other penelope and lily and they realize that the only thing they want is to be together. It's rather beautiful. Let's cut to the scene with Penelope and Lily by the lake. I say, <laughs> call me call me a romantic, Lily, but I don't think there's anything more beautiful than watching Bingley's vast lake filled with all sorts of horrific creatures. But there is the plesiosaur plucks an albatross from the air. How beautiful Wiltshire is in the summer. Yes, indeed, Penelope. I mean, I would say, though, that 
you yourself are awfully attractive, oh. if, if it's not too bold to say. I mean, and I was also thinking that us ladies, we've been to finishing school and are practicing our manners and attend to our looks, and basically all the men are just pigs, just syphilitic, gout-ridden pigs with no manners, and I don't care for them much at all. Do you know, Lily, I was thinking precisely the same thing. Everybody seems to be swooning over whichever eligible bachelors turned up at this hall or that containment unit for these dinosaurs, mm. but at the end of the day, even if men were the most attractive and charming things in the world, I, I don't think I would want to be anywhere but sat beside a lake with you. No, I must confess, I feel raptor-like when I'm sat next to you. Truly? I feel like a stegosaurus looking at a Triassic vegetation. Oh, Lily, we're in public. <laughs> I'm sorry, I forget myself. But... Oh, whenever I look at you, I feel like Mary Anning on the Jurassic Coast, a fairly recent paleontologist, and someday I'm sure she'll be recognised by the Royal Society. I feel like with you I'm uncovering treasures when I look into your eyes. I feel like I've uncovered a complete ichthyosaur skeleton. When you smile at me, it's like I finally figured out which way round the flippers go on a fossilised plesiosaur. Oh, don't tease me so, Penelope. You know it would hurt my feelings if you didn't mean these things. Oh, Lily, I do. I do. Kiss me. Thank you. Now, more tea? Yes, please. Oh, so beautiful, so wonderful to see them connecting, so eloquently expressing their love for each other with wonderful anatomical knowledge of Jurassic creatures. No one's ever declared love to me like that before. I, um, I felt a yearning, Theodore. I did. I'm so glad to hear that. It's very much uh, an important touchstone for me that this movie is emotionally available and engaging. And I think that seeing that romance come back throughout is what really ties it all together, especially when we start to incorporate more sort of educational elements, I think always bringing it back to the heart is important. Uh, absolutely. And, and actually, I found it rather empowering, you know, to see these two young women discover their love for each other and realise that that's where real strength lies. But unfortunately, they're living in a time and an age where man has all the power, those gout-ridden pigs running the patriarchy. But uh, Lily and Penelope have something, something quite surprising. They have a natural affinity with the dinosaurs and they start to train them up. It's quite exciting to see Lily and Penelope mustering the power of the dinosaurs in Mr. Bingley's lake. Now, not without trial and tribulation, of course. There's quite a few comedic scenes, actually, where they're trying to train them up and it doesn't quite go to plan. <laughs> Let's cut to... No, Nibbles, you must not eat the footman's faces. Oh, you naughty, naughty dinosaur. Uh, please, madam, may I run to find the doctor, or at least hop? Oh, go on then, if you must, you must. Thank you, thank you. 
<laughs> how charming Nibbles is and how sharp his teeth. Why, I would say that they were perfect for tearing into the thick skin of fish and crabs and crocodilians. Indeed, he's certainly a water life eating predator. He certainly is, like all plesiosaurs, I presume. You know, whenever I see him devour a mud crab, it reminds me of our time beside the lake oh. when we first got to know each other. Oh, Lily. <laughs> really? Really. Lily, I, well, I had an idea. We should take a silver nitrate photograph of Mr. Nibbles at a distance, very blurry, just his neck sticking out of the lake. And then, as the Royal Exhibition kicks off, we exhibit it. And perhaps finally, we could put Wiltshire back on the map as the Dinosaur County. Screw you, Jurassic Coast. Wiltshire's here to stay. What do you think? I mean, Nibbles answers only to you. With the way that you're talented and, and sweet, but strict and brilliant, and the way your cross-stitch pervades your brilliance. And There's one thing dinosaurs respond to, it's cross-stitch. Precisely. Do you think perhaps you could cross-stitch the instructions for this, or is it too much? It would take a while. I don't know if you would tire of me. I would never tire of you. Until at least a, a moment when the plot comes to a head. Oh. I'll take it until it's plot relevant for me to question it. Kiss me, Lily. Thank you. Now, here's your needle. Here's some thread. Let's get sensationalizing the Empire. My goodness. Well, that was really very exciting, wasn't it? Seeing them plan to put Wiltshire back on the map. Uh, wonderful, wonderful teamwork and connection there. Theodore, how did you write such compelling characters? Are you drawing on your own romantic connections here? Oh, very much so. I think that the the yearning for romance and activism is something that runs deep through all of us. And yes. actually, I think one of the things that I'm most proud of in this movie is uh, the way that their their love and their openness and their sort of performative demonstrations. Uh, kind of foreshadow the emergence of fourth wave feminism. I I think it's really uh, an important piece. Yes, and it made me reflect on my romantic connections where actually in the pursuit of love, I've been rather passive. And I think next time I'm going to be a much more active lover in every respect. I fully support that. Thank you, Theodore. If that's the impact my movie has on people. It absolutely does. It, it's changed me, Theodore. It really has. Of course... Paradise sometimes is lost, and we see a little trouble in Paradise for Lily and Penelope when they don't quite agree on what the new feminist society should look like. Let's cut to, and, and listeners, it's often hard to see lovers argue, but it's important to recognise that we can't always agree on everything. Let's cut to. I shan't hear any more of it, Penelope. Earl Grey is not an acceptable afternoon tea. Well, I don't think you've heard any of it. And, for the record, I'll call into question your taste as well. Earl Grey is perfectly acceptable, <gasps> as is Russian caravan. Now you're just speaking madness. I am. 
And while I'm speaking madness, I don't agree with the name that you've chosen for our society. The John Stuart Mill Society, while it's all well and good to celebrate his work, I don't necessarily think that a society for the empowerment of women and the training and weaponization of dinosaurs should necessarily draw on the work of a male ethicist. But surely it should be about the person's ideas and way of thinking that are important. Well, certainly, but John Stuart Mill can gather brilliance and, and accolades and excellence wherever he goes. I maintain we should call it the Austin Society. My cousin Austin is by far the best writer that I've ever heard of. Yes, well, that's just family bias. Family bias? You say that Earl Grey isn't an acceptable tea, then accuse me of family bias? You must know that my uncle is Earl Grey. I do, and he's just the same. Oh, Lily, how could you? I'm sorry. I thought that we could put aside our family differences, what with your uncle being the purveyor of such a floral beverage. But I'm not sure if we can any longer. What? What I'm taking say? nibbles. Fine, get out. See if I care. I'll stay here with Bingley's half-dismembered corpse. You see if I don't. In fact, I might drag him up the aisle so I could own this house. You see if I won't, Lily. You see if I won't. You wouldn't dare. I would dare to do a lot of things. I once dared to love you. But now, that's over. Get out. Good day. Fare thee well. Au revoir. Au revoir the same. Oh, my, my, my. So Penelope weds... Bingley in a macabre ceremony and Lily goes wild with Nibbles living in the forests on the outskirts of Wiltshire and if I knew the name of that I'd add it in. Let's go for Epping Forest and hope for the best. There she is living in Epping Forest with Nibbles the dinosaur and a few other dinosaur friends. Meanwhile, Penelope puts her boarding school education to good practice, being the best Mrs Bingley she can be to a dismembered corpse, which, let's be honest, my finishing school didn't prepare me for that. It's quite niche. We see the two lovers meet again many, many years later, when skirts are shorter and bonnets are gone, liberated by fashion, but trapped by their life choices. They meet again by the Bingley Lake. Well, I must say, bloodstained corsets are back in fashion, are they? Yes, absolutely. Why, is rat's nest hair also back? Well, I think that fashion comes and goes, but style, as this is, never goes out of fashion. Lilia, I'm tired of arguing. It's been approximately, if we, if we started this in 1813, but our skirts are short now, it's been about 108 years, and I'm tired. Not having to deal with any men really does slow the ageing process. It really does. If only we'd discovered it sooner, the secret to immortality. And here we are. Sat beside Bingley Lake, you with nibbles, me with my decomposing skeleton of a husband. Lilia, I'm sick of fighting. We argued all through the last decade. We, we missed our chance at the Great Exhibition. Speaking of missing our chances, this is a new world, a, a new century. Lily, there's no way I can perhaps ask you to consider 
moving back in with Nibbles, is there? Well, I suppose that, you know, given the lifespan of Nibbles, I should probably find a nice place for his decomposing corpse as well. <laughs> Certainly, yes. Especially once he's removed from the very deep waters of Bingley Lake. The force of gravity when he's on land as opposed to in the water does mean that his own body mass begins to compress his organs. Indeed. Oh, I'm sorry, you're probably no longer interested in marine reptile trivia. Not at all. I've spent so long in Epping Forest that I've not heard any marine reptile trivia for some time. And I've forgotten how dazzling you are. Oh, really? Do you mean it? Do you really mean it? I do. I'm sorry we argued. I just feel so passionately about tea. I understand. On reflection, the whole nasty business was utterly unethical, and I think it took our arguing for me to realise that. I interrogated the supply lines, I, I brought my uncle to justice, and he paid reparations back to everybody he exploited in order to grow these vast farms of tea. I think it really took us pointing out the issues in each other's discourse. Of course, we could have done it more respectfully, but I feel perhaps this is what fourth wave feminism is all about. Of course, it's going to be a while before we start encountering enough feminism to have waves of it, but I feel very positively about this sort of first wave that we're in now, and I think we're way ahead of the game with this. I do as well. I think respectful criticism might, might be the key to it. I agree, and maybe we could just ride that wave together. Together? You really mean it, Lily? I mean it. Now come on, let's go to the conservatory. Kiss me, Lily. Thank you. And this time, I'll kiss you back. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, Theodore, this really is very progressive to see people offering an argument, a counter-argument, listening to each other, reflecting, learning, growing. I've never actually seen that before. I think the dinosaurs were key to that making sense because it offers a certain uh, suspension of disbelief in the first place that I think mm. uh, allows for a lot of emotional growth as well. I was reflecting on this. When I first saw the film title, I thought the predator is obviously the dinosaurs, but they're not, are they? The predator is the patriarchy and the dinosaur casts a light on what that means. Now, I was all set for a happy ending. I had my Ferrero Rocher and baby sham to hand, a tissue at the ready for the emotional final scene where, of course, Lily and Penelope will live happily ever after. But lo, what is this? What's that coming over the hill? It's Earl Grey the Fourth, and he does not want feminism to have a wave or even a ripple. He's coming to destroy Lily and Penelope. And what follows is one of the most exciting battle sequences of all time. Let's cut to. I say, I've made it, Wiltshire. Good girl, Snappers. <coughs> You've got to be the best Tyrannosaurus Rex mount I've ever bred. Ha ha ha, my foolish cousin would never expect me to have repurposed my tea empire into this, into a Tyrannosaurus Rex breeding facility. And now we'll stampede down the whole of Epping Forest and the whole of Wiltshire, starting with Bingley Lake. Oh, cousin, cousin! 
Millie, do you hear that? I do. It sounds like the voice of male fragility. Ha oh, ha! Shut up and listen to me, women! It's time that I stomped your big house with my big dinosaur! Look, Earl Grey, we know you're compensating for something. Uh, how dare you! Oh, he's died from shame! Yes, that's exactly what that was! S such a shock, I've, I've never actually killed someone with words before. But look! He's falling right off the Tyrannosaurus Rex, but it's a long fall, so he's going to live until he hits the ground just long enough for you to get your point across. Don't worry, you go for it. You've obviously suffered somewhat from having to deal with some issues which were pointed out to you, and you're compensating by going on a tyrannical killing spree with your newly genetically modified Tyrannosaurus. But you could just do something else and just... Something else? Something else? I'm a man! I've never been told to change my ways in my life, and I certainly won't start plummeting off a tall dinosaur. Well, we tried, but he'll soon be dead of a fall and shame. Yes, I suppose so. I suppose, on reflection, the real lesson here is... Ah! Oh, my bones! Oh, he's not quite dead. Hand me that Gatling gun, would you? Of course, dear. There you go. Oh, thank you. Here, I'll set it up in the conservatory so it can just pop away as we discuss. Excuse me, ladies. Um, yes, hello. I was, uh, I was El Grey's footman. And, um, I was just wondering whether, uh, you had any thoughts on the emancipation of, of class as an overlap for your, uh, emancipation of gender thing. Because, you know, he was awful to us as well. And, of course, there are many different intersections of, of people that suffer at the hands of the patriarchy. People of colour, trans and LGBTQ people. Uh, there's all sorts of people that suffer, and at the end of the day, if we don't work together, then, well, we have no hope without solidarity. Well said, Footman. I mean, we've ignored you our whole life. I have a name. <laughs> Sorry. That, no, that's okay, that's fine. So, looks like we have some learning to do as well. I suppose you're right. As, as privileged white women, we should listen to others. Yeah. I suppose that's the lesson. Go ahead. What was your name, Fo Footman? Malcolm. Uh, yes, Malcolm. Malcolm Footman. What a lovely, charming name. How lovely. Why don't you come and sit with us at Bingley Lake and tell us all about it? Oh, wonderful. Lots of life lessons there. A reminder for the Earl that pride comes before a fall and a reminder to listen to everybody. Theodore, you must be very proud of this work. I very much am. I think it's my my crowning achievement thus far. Thus far, for I know that greatness continues to lie ahead for Theodore Nightingale, and I have heard rumour that you have another film in the works. Is that correct? Yes, it is. It is. Don't be coy. Come on now. Tell us a little more. What's it called? Oh, gosh. I mean, it, it's just called Emma. Emma. It's set in the International Space Station. <gasps> it's a further exploration of colonialism. Oh, yes. You do love to transcend time and space, Theodore, and I'm here for it. I hope you don't mind, but I have got a trailer of Emma. Would you mind terribly if we were to play it? Oh, by all means. Oh, Theodore, wonderful. Listeners, this is Emma by Theodore Nightingale, set on the International Space Station. Here we go. 
far away from a quaint Hampshire village, one young, inspiring astronaut lady is determined to meddle. I say, all these Martians aren't doing anything for us. I'm going to make them. I think that could be a dangerous idea, Emma, but of course, with your force of personality, I'll bow to you and, and consider your advice sincerely golden. I don't know what he's doing. Yes, we have the right as, as Martians to detect what happens to our planet. Look here, we've ruined our own planet and we need yours. And we also don't want to do anything, so we want you to do everything for us. Emma, it's your cousin, uh, handsome Mr. Knightley. I'm also an astronaut. I'm just here to counsel a little bit of reason and sense, but ultimately let you go on your willful way. Look here, I'm very willful, and I'm the heroine, so I'm going to do what I like. Very well, there's nothing I could do. Starring Taylor Swift as Emma? Yes, that's me, y'all. Um, uh, oh, that guy from the Lonely Island, what's his name? As... <laughs> As, uh, as Mr. And Knightley. Andy Sandberg. Andy Sandberg. Andy Sandberg as Mr. Knightley. Oh, quirky. And Samuel L. Jackson as every single native Martian. <laughs> what are you doing here? Emma in space. A Theodore Nightingale production coming to International Space Station, Satellites and your home TV cinemas this fall. Well, as my friend Tay-Tay would say, haters gonna hate, but no one's going to hate this. This, this is a hit. Theodore, remarkable work. Thank you very much. I'm very excited. Well, Theodore, alas, we've come to the end of our interview. Do you have any final words of wisdom for our listeners? Just that I think the, the medium of film can teach us many things. And I very much appreciate the focus and dedication of my cult-like following. I would follow you anywhere, Theodore. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. The Improvised Movie Director podcast featured Sabrina Luisi as Martina Minow, with resident improvisers Vicky Hawley and Rory Vieira, with special thanks to this week's guest, Stephen Davidson. IMDP is produced and edited by Steve Tanner. Theme music by Matt Brown and Johnny Griffiths. Episode artwork by Marty Sears. Follow us at Improv Movie Pod for updates on future episodes and live shows. Improvised Movie Director Podcast is a four-foot-one films production.